Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a travel podcast where we explore some of the best destinations through interesting stories from locals and people that have had meaningful experiences around the world. We started this podcast to connect with friends, both old and new, to learn important lessons through traveling. We hope you get as much out of these adventures as we do. Before we get started, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the follow button on Spotify, so you're always notified when new episodes drop, and so you're officially a member of the Travel Club. Now, grab your passport, because we got a flight to catch. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. We've been away for a while, but Brendan and I are back over Zoom, uh, chatting it up, and uh, we got a really fun episode for you today. But first, we just wanted to kind of check in, just to remind our audience, Brendan has sadly moved away from Miami. He is reporting live from Tucson, Arizona. Brendan, how is Tucson? How is law school? How's your, how's your pup? Tucson's great. Uh, I, Danielle and I have been exploring and going out more because it's not like oppressively hot. So we've been like, it's a super bikeable city. We just biked into downtown to grab some safe drinks on a patio and really take in what Tucson does best. So we've been doing a lot more of that. Um, law school is time consuming. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was thinking about it before we were recording this episode and it actually makes me feel a little bit better about not being able to travel because it feels self-imposed. I couldn't do anything even if I wanted to. So the fact that I can't go anywhere anyway doesn't feel as bad. Nice. And um, the pup is, is getting there. She adds a little spice to the home classes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we have a, a pup named Gracie. I think that we weren't, Danielle and I weren't expecting to get a young puppy, but these things just sort of happen and Doug it was an oops dog <laughs> yeah we've been looking at like calm two-year-olds and then a family friend of Danielle's had a puppy that we went over and looked at and then two days later we had a puppy <laughs> <laughs> but it's been nice because she you know has energy and wants to be around people and I don't really leave the house during the day for like classes and studying so um uh I've been able to spend a lot of time and like teach her tricks, play with her, and it's been fun. Awesome. How's Miami doing? I, I miss Miami a lot. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Miami misses you too, uh, but everything is going pretty well. Um, I, I recently left my job at the University of Miami. It was uh, four years, but actually it was since the moment I got to Miami, I have either been in classes or at work in the same building at the medical campus and stepping out of that building after being there for six years on my last day that was a it was a really surreal experience it was a little bit muted i would say because of everything that's going on right now so there's a part of me that was like well nobody's here anyways like there's no going away party there's no like <laughs> fond farewell to all your work friends it's just like and that chapter's closed. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was an abrupt ending, but um, I, I've started a new job. I'm really excited uh, with a company that I think is doing uh, great work. Um, but I'm back in the precision medicine world, uh, precision oncology. 
So this is, this is not the podcast for, for that kind of uh, discussion. There are some, some great uh, science podcasts out there. Uh, not that I listen to any of them, but, <laughs> but uh, I will say if, if for anybody that cares about your humble hosts, it uh, sounds like we're both doing pretty well and uh, making a lot of changes. And this job, just for, uh, for travel purposes, you do, um, you're now entirely remote, correct? That's correct. I mean, not only am I remote, but uh, eventually I will be getting back to traveling, hopefully. Um, so that could lead to a lot of really fun blog posts and uh, new information about destinations across the U.S. because my territory is national. Uh, and then I'll be uh, hiring some managers that cover each of the individual regions. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a big boss now. And that, that's just fact. <laughs> I just want to boss baby. I, I'm a boss baby. <laughs> Um, and you just went on a trip recently, right? Yeah. According to your uh, Instagram? Yeah. If you, if you check not only my, uh, my personal Instagram, but more importantly, the Cotta Bros underscore travel club, the, our, our uh, Cotta Brothers travel club Instagram. Um, yeah, you can see a lot of awesome pictures from my recent trip to New England. Um, I went up there to, to watch the leaves change. Ileana and I, we, went up, we always do a fall trip. Uh, it's close to her birthday, so we kind of use it as a reason to celebrate that too. We flew into Boston and then uh, explored Boston a little bit. Then we rented a car uh, and drove up to New Hampshire, which was surprisingly super sick. Um, really? I mean, super sick. I like this area was really cool. The hiking is incredible. The the leaves were uh, had changed. We we did a ten mile hike that uh, um, took us up and over and along this ridge line. And uh, it was a big loop and it took us freaking forever. But uh, it was one of the most incredible hikes because as we were hiking on this ridge, at first it was really cloudy, really windy. I mean, winds were probably up to like 30 miles per hour up near the summit. And then all of a sudden, as we're hiking on the ridge, the clouds cleared up. And on either side of us, there was this sea of orange leaves and just like orange, yellow, red, like all the way down the mountain for as far as you could see. Um, it was just beautiful, super incredible. And then after New Hampshire, we drove over to Maine and we visited a very, one of the, I found out one of the most popular national parks in the country, Acadia National Park, which is on what they call, it's called Mount Desert Island. So it's this, this island right off the coast of uh, mainland Maine. And um, yeah, we stayed in Bar Harbor, which is a really dope city. Uh, for a city that's near a national park, very similar to like a Flagstaff uh, in, uh, at the Grand Canyon. And we explored the national park for uh, um, a few days and it was, it was really an awesome trip. And so I will say, this is, a, this is a plug, I wrote all about it, all the things that you should do, all the cool things that uh, you can see, eat, drink, culture, outdoors, our usual pillars. I put that on the blog um, so you can find it there. Um, cotterbrotherstravelclub.com. You can learn all about cool things to do in New England during autumn. That sounds great. That sounds like you really covered a lot of like the, uh, the outdoorsy part of uh, New England. I would say that that was definitely the primary pillar that we were hitting um, because uh, we went to a national forest and we went to a national park. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the other pillars are there too. And, and so that's what I encourage everybody to look into is the, the food is obviously really great. We had so many oysters and so many. <laughs> awesome. I don't want to give too much away from the, the blog post, but did you stay in New Hampshire or you drove into New Hampshire for the, the park? 
No, we actually, we stayed um, pretty much three days in each area. Okay. So we were, we were gone for 10 days. So we had three days in Boston, uh, three days in New Hampshire. So yeah, we, we stayed in a place called uh, Jackson, New Hampshire. Oh, cool. Um, okay. It's typically like a little ski and, and cross country ski village. But during the fall, it's like for, uh, you know, watching the fall foliage and, and doing hikes and stuff. So it was great. We stayed at a bunch of bed and breakfast. Highly recommend. That's a super uh, northeastern trip. Yeah, super northeast. Super. That's really cool. What about you, Bren? Are you? Uh, I know that you're stuck at home most for the most part. Are you planning on doing any sightseeing? Yeah, actually, since we moved out here, Danielle and I have been um, really wanting to get into the camping scene that's popular out here. I mean, Arizona has more national and state parks than I could imagine. Like just a, a big like desert state to have, um, and they're all beautiful. So she found uh, this lake that's about an hour's drive away called Lake Patagonia State Park. That's just a really popular water activities, camping site, lake that people go to. So at the beginning of November, we're going to make a drive out there and just spend the night, test all our camping equipment and, uh, and, and try some Arizona camping. That is really cool. You're really adapting to the, to the desert culture. I'm trying. I think that... Uh, as sad as I was to leave Florida, there are definitely things that Arizona has that Florida didn't, like mountains and desert. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to take advantage of all of those changes, and desert camping seems like a nice way to do it. In some ways, I can't think of a more opposite place to move. You know, it's like Florida, like the beach, and the desert. You know, those are kind of like opposites. And, Absolutely. And then the other thing, when we think about opposites in, in traveling, that was sort of a theme that we hit for this episode. What is the opposite of Melbourne, which we covered in a, in a really cool uh, episode a, a, couple, a couple times back? The opposite of Melbourne is Sydney. And it just so happened that our guest for our Melbourne episode, uh, Megan Moser, she has a boyfriend, a wonderful guy named Mark Weber, and uh, they live together now in Melbourne, but he is originally from Sydney. So I'm not going to get into uh, too much more of an introduction. I want him to tell his own story, but uh, we feel very fortunate because we wanted to really hit on that rivalry between the two cities, the same way that there's an obvious rivalry between Miami and Tucson. Yeah, <laughs> the, two, the, the Miami of the Southwest. <laughs> That's how it is with Melbourne and Sydney. So they both sound like a wonderful place. We've already heard what to do in Melbourne, but now it's time to get a little more insight on Sydney. Do you have any questions before we get started? You're, you're, you're a pro, so. <laughs> no, yeah, I think, I think I've, I've got it. I've, I've sort of had a bit of a think about, because, you know, as you said, you've got the, the four columns. So yeah. I had some, I've got some, got some notes here. Oh, that's great. <laughs> oh, nice. Super prepared. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we like to hear. We have a prepared guest on the show tonight. <laughs> Welcome to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. It is an honor to have you on. Can you introduce yourself to, uh, to the audience and also, Give us a little background on uh, why you're on the show today. I uh, so well, I'm Mark. I'm um, I'm from. I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and moved moved from Sydney to to Melbourne uh, about just over just over a year ago now. Okay. Yeah, it was a year in January, which um, which was a pretty interesting move. Pretty fun fun little town here in Melbourne, uh, and the reason I moved is um, related to the reason that I'm. I suppose I'm here having a chat to you guys, which is, um, I came down just to visit some friends one weekend in May, I think it was in 2018, 2019. 
and um, met Megan, who was on on the uh, the Melbourne episode of yeah. um, of of the travel show. And um, what can I say? <laughs> we um, she's is so fantastic that I had to pack up all my stuff and move 800 kilometers south. So um, here we are now. And then yeah, she was, as I said, she was on your show a couple of, couple of weeks ago, and um, I think she she. Uh, reached out and said, "Oh, you know, you should talk talk to Mark about Sydney." Here we are. <laughs> wow, that is a true uh, uh, millennial love story right there. You uh, <laughs> you met not on Tinder or or Bumble or anything in real life, IRL, and yeah. uh, and you ended up moving down to uh, to Melbourne. It, I think it's a it's a little uncommon for for the Cotter Brothers Travel Club to do the same country twice in a in a season, but we're really banking on this Sydney Melbourne rivalry. <laughs> to come up with some really good radio or podcast uh, content. So we're hoping that you can, you can oblige us with some, uh, a little bit of back and forth on that. Yeah. All right. I won't hold uh, back and I'll, I'll take the gloves off. And <laughs> That's good. That's, that's what we're hoping for. You know what? There, there's one thing though that I have to ask before we get started. I've recently been listening to a podcast called God is Dead. I'm a huge fan and uh, it's done by two uh, Australian dudes and they keep using this term and I, I need you to describe this term for me and for the audience. They keep saying, Sus that. What is what does sus that mean? That. Yeah, sus. What does sus mean? Oh, it can mean a few things. That's the okay. thing. I don't, I don't know if, if um if you've kind of come across it. There's so, there's a lot of slang. It was something that as Megan and I were sort of getting together, I would say something sometimes, and she would kind of look at me like, "What?" Uh-huh. And um, so there's a lot of slang that we seem to use. But sus can mean a few things. It can be like, sus can be sort of short for suspicious. Like, ah, uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Don't don't hang out with with that person they're a little sus like there's i don't know what they might do something or you could do something sus like if you you know you know walk into a room and someone suddenly stops what they're doing you're like oh you're doing something sus so <laughs> that's doing something suspect or it can mean it can be to like check something out or figure something out like oh there's a cool there's a cool bar down the road we should go and suss that out this weekend it, it's very interesting it has a lot of uses i like that yeah very contextual <laughs> yeah exactly yeah well it's like mate you know mate can be either you know a really kind thing to say to someone or you can you can mate someone like in a in a kind of like i'm slamming you kind of thing like if you say something silly someone will go mate and it's like oh that burns whereas if someone's like come here mate <laughs> <laughs> that's great we're gonna have to do a whole episode on on australian slang because it's, it's super important for for travelers and visitors it sounds like it's not, on, on megan's episode she was saying that one of our mutual friends was trying to order at a bar and uh and they weren't able to to get an order in because he was given are you okay are you okay and they're just like uh yeah i feel i feel really well i'm, I'm happy i'm on vacation and they're like order <laughs> So this is, a, of course, as you know, a travel podcast. And, and so what we like to ask our, our guests at the very beginning is, what does traveling mean to you? That's a great question. There's, I suppose that my, my traveling has sort of been segmented into like two or three sort of categories. One would be, um, you know, traveling sort of for leisure with, you know, family and friends and that sort of thing. And I've seen sort of, you know, different parts of, of the world, you know, doing that. So that's, to, to me for that, it's, I suppose it's really a time to, I mean, I don't know, to, to explore kind of new, new places, but also to connect with, with who I'm traveling with and, you know, share some, some experience with them. And, and I feel like traveling with someone, you get to know, getting to know someone outside of their, um, their comfort zone is, is just such an interesting way to get to know someone and to, um, to really engage with who they are. So that's, I suppose, 
I suppose the bit, the main thing that it means for me is, is that is connecting with people. And also of course, connecting with the people that you meet, you know, you, you land somewhere in the middle of, you know, a country that you maybe don't know so well and get talking to this person or that person. And then suddenly you've got a new friend that has this totally different context, but you can find, you know, you know, shared, I don't know, shared stuff, I suppose. That's, that's, that's really exciting to me. I suppose I'm probably sounding like a textbook, um, extrovert. No, no, no. I mean, that that's awesome. And I think that especially now in the, in the age of COVID, what's one thing that we're missing more than anything is just being able to meet new people and hang out. And that was a whole big portion of why Brendan and I started this show in the first place is now we've come across people, soccer players in Iceland, friends that live in Frankfurt and Germany, new friend in, in Australia and connecting with Megan, who I hadn't talked to in six years. And it's just, you know, that that's, we're doing it virtually right now. Whereas, you know, travel is about doing that in person when, when we can get back to it. Yeah, absolutely. So that's awesome. So now it's time to sell us on visiting Sydney. So this is, that's your hometown, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. I've lived there for 20, 27, 28 years. So I know my way around. Okay. That's good. That's good. And, and so if you've heard Megan's episode, which I think that you have, you know that we always talk about these four pillars of an amazing experience when you're traveling. And that goes food, drinks and nightlife, culture, and some sort of outdoor excursion, getting out in the outdoors. So we're going to go pretty much in that order. Works pretty, pretty well. And, and we learn a lot about these places. And uh, all right, here we go. Are you ready? I hope so. All right. So starting with food, we really, we weren't able to get too much of an idea from Megan, maybe because she's relatively new to the country, but can you explain a little bit about what Australian cuisine is and are, is there actually Australian cuisine? That's the question, isn't it? It's, it's, um, this, the short answer is, I suppose, not really, because I, I guess being, being a, a nation that is so multicultural, there's, there's all these different sort of cuisine traditions that are all kind of colliding which is really cool. So like there's, a, there's so much Asian influence in, certainly in, in terms of food, but then there's also um, lots of, of, of Leban, great Lebanese food and there's great Indian food. And there's, there's obviously, I mean, everywhere has great Italian food um, that I've been to. So in terms of, I suppose, you know, my, you know, being a, a ridgy didge Aussie, oh, excuse <laughs> me, um, the, the food that sort of the food memories that I have of, of growing up are like, barbecue i suppose you guys would call it a grill but you know putting sausages and um steaks and 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 things like that on on the barbecue and you know eating outdoors and sitting out in the you know as warm saturday afternoon just kind of out there there's the pool and it's it's very i suppose very alfresco very very outdoors but it's, i suppose it's all kind of centered around that that grill well, that, that's awesome I mean, it sounds like cuisine in, in australia is more about the environment eating is more about the environment, the people you're with and what you're doing at the same time, rather than what was prepared in the country itself. I mean, that was certainly my experience of it being, a, you know, not having any particularly interesting cultural background. I'm sure if you, you spoke to a, you know, a person who grew up in a Sri Lankan family or a, you know, mm. a, a, mm-hmm. a Thai family, you know, they'd, they'd have a, maybe some mix of that or maybe a, a totally different experience. But um, out in the, out in the suburbs, that was, that was my, <laughs> my experience. <laughs> How often do you get back to Sydney now that you're living in Melbourne? Pretty frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've got, I mean, I've obviously got a lot of friends there um, that I, that I like to see as frequently as possible. My, my parents and, and my big sister and her husband all, all live there still. So um, 
probably, you know, at, at least once every two months, um, I get to get back there, which is, which is good. You know, that's, I suppose the, well, maybe not right now, but great thing about the time that we live in is something that would have otherwise taken, you know, mm-hmm. 10 hours to drive. I can just hop on a plane for reasonably affordable price. So long as you don't mind, you know, sitting in the wearing tunnel. A seat. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wearing a mask. <laughs> um, so yeah, pretty frequently. So when you go back, what would you say are the restaurants that you have to hit there? What are your favorite places to go eat? There's a few places. So there's, there's one place which um, it's not so much necessarily just about the food. It's about the whole experience. There's a place called Frankie's Pizza um, and it's in the middle of the, the city. And uh, you, it's, you kind of go in and you go down these stairs, like you're going into this ba- basement sort of thing. And it's a really low ceiling and there's like photos from like all these old photos all over the walls and, and, and newspaper clippings and all this stuff. And they have all these fantastic beers and they do wood fired pizza, but, and it's just this dark, dingy smells like pizza it's so hot but it's just the whole experience they have live rock and roll music they got all the, you know it's just amazing it's so much fun um and you get pizza by the slice and you know have a beer and then no matter what time of year it is you walk out just sweating from the you know the heat <laughs> down in the basement um so that's one that you gotta go to frankie's pizza and it's right in the city so you just off the plane into the city straight down into the basement <laughs> funny what an intense like, experience i know <laughs> it's, it sounds like it's some kind of ritual doesn't it um so that's one that you've got to hit there's a, there's also a cafe in in linfield which is it's it's way out in the suburbs and there's there's nothing particularly special about about it you, you probably wouldn't make the trip specially for it unless you you love this particular food but it's a little cafe and they do they're, they're run by a Vietnamese family and they do a bacon and egg roll, but they do it like a banh mi. Do you guys have banh mi? Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Yeah, I love Vietnamese food. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, yeah, and this beautiful baguette, egg, bacon, and then sort of like all the yummy spices and like coriander and all this. It's amazing. And um, so I, that is something that I definitely hit every time I go to Sydney. But that's maybe that's a little bit of a food. Um, it's a, you know, a special place to me personally. Yeah, that's too. great. So, <laughs> we love that. That's really cool. Okay, now here's a really important question. What food does Sydney do a lot better than Melbourne? Oh, oh goodness me. Here's the thing. Melbourne is so famous for such fantastic food. I don't... Yeah? Oh, goodness. I, don't, I, I, I almost want to say that it can't. Sydney wow. can't beat Melbourne on the food front. But this is the Mel- Melbourne episode that, 2.0. I know. I might get disowned. I hope. <laughs> I hope Look, the um, there's 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 well, actually no. Here I, I can say this with conviction: the Lebanese food that I know of in Sydney is streets ahead of the Lebanese food that I've had here in Melbourne. So there's a little place in the city called oh, it's in Surrey Hills. Um, that's called Emads. And it's a this it's run by this this family and you walk in and it's you you sit on pillows on the floor and it's it's all very kind of it, it's just you know it's like you're walking into home, mm-hmm. um, and the reason that I know about that is that years and years ago I was in the car with mum and dad and we were driving back from I think we were dropping someone at the airport and we were all going oh it's about dinner time we're a bit hungry and mum and dad looked at each other and went oh Emads is around the corner so we we pulled up and we parked and we walked in and we sat down and it turns out that this is a place that they used to go back when they were dating, when they were at university decades nice. and decades ago and nothing has changed. 
So it's wow. still same, same decor, same people running it, same person up in the back, you know, cutting up, making tabula. It's so um, maybe that's also a factor in why, <laughs> why I like it so much. Cause it's such a, sure. such a cool little um, slice of, I don't know, tradition and, and family there. I love that. That that's that's very yeah. cool. I mean that that's that's another part that I've come to hold very dear about doing this podcast is that when it, you're meeting those people and you're having those experiences and and we're hearing from our friends about the the places that they live or the where they come from, those are the things that stand out the most and sharing that is 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 meaningful for us to hear it and it's also great travel advice for people that are looking for an amazing meal and an amazing experience. So those are the best. I mean, those, the whole hole in the wall places, the places that hold a special part of your heart. That's awesome. Mm, yeah. Now to change the subject a little bit, I know my brother has a, a question that will probably lead us into uh, the next pillar. It sounds like Sydney has an incredible food culture as well, just like Melbourne does. What would you say is the best drunk food after like a, a late night out? Oh, this is this is a really great question. So this, I was thinking about this yesterday, and and this is a debate that um that Megan, having grown up in San Diego, she has a very different opinion on this than me. So in San Diego, I'm I'm given to understand that if you've if you've been out and you've had some beers and you're oh walking home, I'm a bit hungry. You go straight to get a burrito. That's it. That's what you want. Cheese, oh yeah, that is correct. Beans, all the stuff. Oh yeah. In Sydney, you go and get a kebab. Which oh, is okay. Like, I suppose. Do you have kebabs? Well, Maybe. well now see this is the one thing now now we have kebabs but they are not pitched as drunk food in america not not at least in the places that we've lived like certainly not in san diego and and definitely not in miami um but they're out there and a lot of i I love kebab don't get me wrong but when we talk to our european friends it's all about the dinner kebab like that is Mm -hmm. everything for them so it's cool to hear tell us more about about your kebabs in uh in australia yeah, let me paint the paint the paint the picture for you. So it's like midnight. You're walking down the street, and there's this shining light in the distance. This big neon sign, and you walk in, and it's this place. And you look around, and you're like, "I'm not sure that I'm going to survive whatever I'm about to eat, but I don't care." And there's this big spinning sort of pylon of meat, and you walk over to this guy who you're not quite. He may he may speak English, he may not. He but he you speak fluent kebab between the two of you and you point at the meat and you're like, I'll have one of those. And they just get this, it looks like an electric razor almost. And they just shave this meat off this big spinning meat thing. And they scoop it all up and they put it on a piece of uh, Lebanese bread, big, big wrap. And they put on some onions, some tomatoes, some, some lettuce, some cheese, if you're feeling lucky, bit of hummus. And then we call it the Holy Trinity of sauces. And you get barbecue sauce, garlic sauce, and hot sauce that's the holy trinity <laughs> and they wrap it up put it in a press and they hand you this thing and you unwrap it seems like somehow they wrap 200 meters of foil around this thing so you're just unwrapping and unwrapping and unwrapping and finally there it is this big beautiful greasy cheesy spicy wrap and you eat it all down these places for some reason never have napkins they have um <laughs> uh, like actual tissues that you would use to blow your nose. So you, that's what you use <laughs> to sort of get all the, cause by the time you're finished, you're, you're covered in, if you're doing it right, covered in kebab juice all down your arms. It sounds disgusting, but it is heavenly. And then you just got to clean yourself up and then, you know, continue on your merry way home and um, wake up with terrible breath. 
<laughs> that is a beautiful story. You are a master of the audio medium. Like, you know what we need. <laughs> Not I love telling us that. I love telling us that you get cheese if you're feeling lucky. That's good. Yeah. Like that's good travel <laughs> advice for people going to Sydney. Yeah. That's wonderful. All right. Well, that kind of moves us into our second pillar because I mean, we, we're kind of skipping ahead maybe if we go already to the, the food that you get on the way home. But now Brendan has a, a couple more questions about what you're doing right before that. So first, just to, to um, get a baseline, what are some popular drinks in Sydney and what do Aussies like to get drunk on just in general? Mm. Well, I mean, <laughs> any, anything, it seems like sometimes you go to a pub and it's just chaos. Um, but I mean, there's a, there's a big, big beer drinking culture, obviously, certainly for, for me and, and my friends. One, one thing that, um, that has always confused me about, um, portrayals of, of Australia and Australians in, um, in sort of Hollywood movies or in, in American TV is people drinking Fosters. It's like, they seem to think that it's like the national drink. I don't think I've ever seen anyone willingly drink a Fosters in Australia <laughs> in my life. It is not sought after. It is like bottom of the barrel you you know there's nothing else to drink in the in the esky you gotta you know oh what's that oh it's fosters all right but there's certainly yeah lots and lots of really great um sort of micro breweries little craft breweries all dotted around every city so there's there's tons of really really delicious um beers hazy hazy ipas and new england ipas are, are for some reason right now seem to be really really popular really everywhere mm. but if you know if it's a if you're down um down by the by the water and it's hot hot afternoon you're there with your pals uh you probably want something like a a vb which is a victoria bitter which is a very you know simple straightforward very honest honest beer crowd pleaser it's you know it's not it's not the beauty queen but it's you know Mm. it's it's gonna make everyone pretty happy so gonna get the job done that's right yeah that's awesome and you might have already answered this but is there a pretty big uh like local brewery um culture in sydney there is yeah so there's a few really good ones dotted around there's one called lord, the lord nelson brewery which is just this is a really great experience if you're in sydney this you've you've got to do it um it's this little brew pub just kind of at the bottom of the um the harbour bridge and you can go in and they've got all the the beers brewing there you can sort of see it all happening and you can buy a six pack of their um three sheets pale ale which is my favorite one of their beers grab a six pack of that and then it's about a two minute walk up to observatory hill and you can sit on this big beautiful grass hill near near um observatory and you have this huge panoramic view of the whole harbor and you're sitting there and you can see the opera house on the other side of the bridge you can see the sydney harbor bridge in front of you luna park across the way which has this big um it's a it's a theme park and it has this big clown head that you walk into um, to get into the and you can, it's just it's almost like someone tried to cram all the famous things into a photograph but you're there <laughs> in real life um, so that's that's the the lord nelson brew pub I, no one can compete with that experience so far as i'm concerned um, but there's lots of lots of micro breweries all around so in newtown there's a great brewery called young henry's and that's like a little it looks like someone's garden shed. You kind of go down this, this little alleyway and it's, it's like corrugated iron and it's like everything seems to be made of like recycled timber. Um, all the beers are written up on the wall with chalk. Um, so that's a really cool one as well. Very nice. Everything is uh, either basements or sheds in Sydney, it seems like. 
Very experience-based. I love it. <laughs> it doesn't sound like a very sophisticated city when I describe it like that, does it? <laughs> no, no, it's amazing. We, 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 know, we, know, that, we know that there's got to be those elements of every city. Otherwise, why would you live there? Exactly. So, so what would you say are some of the, the best neighborhoods to go out drinking in if you want to be bar hopping? Ooh, and, where, and where do you go? Yeah, right. Uh, well, it depends a little bit on what you're after. So if you want to uh, kick back by the ocean with a nice, nice beer, you want to be somewhere like Manly, which is um, across the harbour from, from the city, from Sydney Harbour, which in itself getting there is an experience because you can the, take a ferry across and it takes probably half an hour, 45 minutes, depending on what the ocean conditions are like. But what they've started doing is many of the ferries now have a, a licensed bar on board. So you can hop on the ferry, have a beer as you sail across Sydney. Well, not sail, but as you, you know, motor across Sydney Harbour on a, on a ferry. And it's just enough time, you know, depending on, you know, how thirsty you are, one or two beers, it's just the perfect amount of time. And you hop off the, the ferry and you're, you're there in uh, Manly Harbour and you've got wharf bar right there on your right and it's this beautiful old bar huge glass windows between you and the ocean right there and on a sunny day um, you can actually go out onto the the boardwalk like the jetty and they've got another bar out there so you can sit out there like you're some old sea captain you know (laughs) as as the boats roll in which is just a fantastic experience and then all down through manly there's dozens of of really fantastic bars they, they call this little area the corso and historic, you know, bars that have been there for, for hundreds of years, there's the Stain, um, which doesn't sound very, very classy, but that's a wonderful pub. It's enormous, right on the water. It's this really unique mix where, where it's not only um, a big, big draw card for all sorts of people that are traveling or that don't live in Manly, but it's also a really cherished local pub for all the, the people that live around there too. So you get this cool kind of mix of all these different people from all over the world all over sydney all over the country and the people that live there and it's just this really great really great vibe there it's really really enjoyable so that's that's if you want to be by the beach manly corso done if you want live music you want to be in the city uh in a few places there's king street in newtown which is i I can't I, i tried to write down a few venues and i actually can't even there's so many you couldn't count. There's Marley Bar, which is a fantastic one for just your local talent, like someone that you've never heard before. You might just wander in and go, oh, these guys sound cool. No cover charge, free, you know, sit there, have a great time, have a dance if you want. Or if you want to see, a, you know, maybe a slightly more famous band, you can go and see a band at the Enmore Theatre, which is an old, you know, playhouse theatre that they've converted into a music venue. And I've seen some great bands there. And then there's Oxford Street, which is in Darlinghurst. Um, and that's, I've spent a lot of time running up and down Oxford Street, um, causing mischief. Uh, and there's a few fantastic venues around there. There's Oxford Art Factory, which has, there's two rooms in the Oxford Art Factory. So there's the gallery bar. That's where like, if you're not, you know, if you're starting out and you don't really pull a crowd, that's free entry. Everyone can go in, drinks are cheap. It's just this tiny little dinky stage in the corner. It's tiny, it's cramped. It's just so much fun. But then if you're, if you, you know, slightly more successful or you're seeing someone slightly more successful, there's the main room and that's got a proper stage. It's got all these levels. It's a little bit bigger, you know, it's got a, an air conditioner, which is really nice. Um, <laughs> but between the rooms, there's this, this big glass cube and they do um, art shows in there. They'll, they might have an installation in there, like a, um, a sort of sculpture or they might have some sort of performance art piece in there or, you know, painting or something. 
and it's always very um, eclectic, very, very weird. I've seen some stuff mm-hmm. that I kind of wish I could scrub from my memory in that <laughs> glass cube. But <laughs> <laughs> it sounds very avant-garde, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. What, I mean, look, what you're describing right now, some of these places that you've talked about are really like making us pay attention because we are dive bar connoisseurs. And so of the ones that you've mentioned, or maybe even throughout Sydney, what is the best dive bar, the diviest place? Ooh, here's the thing. Dive bars are not really a thing here in Australia. Some people try and do it, but I'm sure you, I'm sure you, you get that feeling when you go into a place that's trying to be a dive bar, yeah. you can sense it immediately. As soon as you walk in, you're like, yeah, I don't know. This, that's not real grime. That's like Hollywood grime. Get out of here. <laughs> But there is, there is one place that does dive bar pretty well. And it's, it seems very, you know, real to me. And it's called um, the Norfolk, um, okay. N-O-I-F-O-L-K. And that's in Surrey Hills, just across the road from Emads. So it's a great place. After you've been to Emads and had your Lebanese food, duck across the road to the Norfolk. Um, and that's just, that is the truest dive bar that I've been able to find in Australia. And they, if you haven't had your fill of Lebanese food, they've got some great pub snacks. They've got this beautiful beer garden, which is... Um, beautiful backyard sun shining there's cover for if it's raining it's it's all this colorful furniture all this timber and of course the most important thing they've got fantastic beers on tap so yep we're covered okay that's good wow and you know i thought you were going to say the stain i mean the stain is probably the diviest name i've ever heard but <laughs> if you're saying that it's a little bit more high end or they are, are they are they one of the fake dive bars or are they just like an institution like they're always there and they're updating all the time I would describe them as like a, a dive bar made good. Like it used okay. to be a pretty rough pub. When I um, first told my, my parents, oh, I'm going to the, the stain in Manly tonight, their faces dropped. They were like, what are you going there for? Because back in their day, that's where you went to go and get in a fight. But now you go there and have a cocktail. <laughs> I see. I see. Okay. So they had, they're one of those places that had a facelift. Yeah, right. facelift. Absolutely. It's aged like a fine wine. Yeah, yeah, they weren't proud of their of their dive heritage, but they, they okay. Well, it sounds really cool. So, so you know, the the Norfolk that that's a place that you can find us for sure. We love that. And you know, the reason one of the reasons that we really I've been thinking about this a lot because I'm like, uh, you know, are we are should we just pivot all the way to being a dive bar podcast? And I was like, no, no, no. The dive bar fits in perfectly because this is the travel club is a community. There's nothing that brings a community together more than a dive bar. So let's let, we're we're gonna keep on with that. <laughs> but di- dive bars also really do emphasize the culture of a of a of a city of a community, and so now we're moving into to the culture portion. And I mean, like Sydney is such an iconic city. I mean, when they when people think of Australia in general, I think that they think of the Opera House, they think of the the Bay Harbor Bridge, those types of things. And so we really wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. Have you ever been to a show at the Sydney Opera House? Yeah, I have. I've been to several over the course of my life. Um, the The Opera House is is such a it's such a cool place because it's a place that you can go and see, you know. Well, not maybe not me personally, but you know, the, the fancy people can go and see an opera or like a you know something very fancy. But then you can okay. also see like a rock and roll concert there as well. So you mm. can kind of it's this space that kind of gets to be used for all these different things. And it's, it's a space that if you, if you see the right, the right music there, it just because of the sheer magnitude of, of the, the hall and the, 
even just the visual impact of this of this beautiful space it can be really quite moving um so if you have the opportunity to go and see someone that that is you know even just someone with an acoustic guitar tell you know singing storytelling songs it can be this like transcendent experience because just the mix of this this beautiful hall and this these beautiful acoustics and and this i don't know there's something there is really something very special about that space and maybe i'm a little bit biased because i'm a sydney sider but it's um it, it really is something that is electric so um yeah if you have a chance yeah you have to yeah. have to do it can't can't recommend it enough that that's awesome that, that's really amazing i think that i was i thought you were going to say you're biased because you are actually involved in sound uh <laughs> tech and and studio can you tell the audience a little bit well i mean listen don't don't log off right after this because I got some questions. You you design studios, right, for some for some uh, music artists. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's part part of what I do. Yeah. So, um, the the acoustics of the Sydney Opera House are actually really interesting. So it was it was kind of being developed. There's there's several halls within the Opera House, and um, they were all sort of designed with a certain um, a certain use in mind. So the acoustics of a certain space can be sort of tapered to to really support a particular kind of music and equally it can be if you, if you have the wrong kind of music in the wrong kind of space it can really sort of disrupt your, your experience of it mm. so for example if you've got a space that's really reverberant and there's this huge echo and it's lush and warm but you're in there playing punk rock you're not going to feel the intensity of the music you're not going to be able to discern what's being said or what's being played but if you hear you know a uh, a choral group or a you know an orchestra in there it that's when it is as i said transcendent it's this out of body experience because you're surrounded by this warmth and this you know you you're almost swimming through this auditory experience and it's really amazing so i digress the the, the, the halls had these particular ideas in mind and there was all this all this conflict between the architect and the the acoustician about what they what the room should be used for how they could be used and then at the last minute um there was an executive decision made about one of the spaces that i think was meant to be for uh you know theater they're like no we want this to be this other type of space so for the first kind of um well, i don't know maybe my may have even, even been decades of of the the opera house's life it had famously terrible acoustics it sounded terrible mm -hmm. Um, because of this conflict, no one could agree, and it was all these compromises made. Um, and then there's, you know, been been a, a process of restoration and fixing the acoustics, and and so we've ended up with a space now that is um, quite enjoyable. That that's amazing. It's so great that you know the history like that. That that's really fascinating, and it's cool to have it from the perspective of somebody who really understands acoustics and and sound quality and. I mean that you're you're as good of a, a guide as any when it comes to the Sydney Opera House. <laughs> well, I actually um, had the the pleasure of working for one of the acousticians from wow. the um, the initial design. This is how I had some insight into his name. Name was Peter Nolan. Well, his name is Peter Nolan. Just an incredibly intelligent man. But he was just he was just a a baby when he was um, involved in this. So he's got this insight and this experience and. Um, you could just sit there for hours, just going, "Tell me more." Wow, well, I mean, the Sydney Opera House is is an iconic part of of the city, and it's really cool to hear that it's it's a completely worthwhile thing 
to see because I feel like sometimes when people see the, you know, the one thing that stands out for that city, it's like, yeah, everybody goes there. It's a little overrated. Like you're not going to see too much. So cool to hear that this is like such a meaningful part of the city. My brother has a question about some parts of the city that don't get as much love. I love the strong recommendation for like the, the most like iconic thing in the city. What would you say is something that is a little bit more underrated in the city that isn't in the guidebook, but you got to hit it when you're in Sydney? Oh, what a great question. Look, there's these, there's these very famous, as you said, very famous parts of Sydney that get a lot of love all around the Harbor is obviously beautiful and, and, and very, very famous. Um, whether you're on the, on the city side of the Harbor or the, um, you know, the North side of the Harbor, um, we've got a big, enormous, beautiful botanic garden, which you can just walk through for hours and, and feel like you've never seen the same thing twice. Uh, in terms of things that, that don't get quite enough attention, there's, hmm, you've really stumped me there. <laughs> it's a tough question. We're, we're really, we're really hard interviewers. That is, yeah, you guys aren't afraid to ask the tough ones, are you? <laughs> Look, Sid, maybe, maybe a, a, a good thing to point out is that Sydney gets a lot of love, but there's also all these sort of surrounding areas that are, mm -hmm. in my opinion, just as really, just as, as worthy of our, you know, admiration. So um, there's, there's a little town, probably an hour or two north of the city, which is a little coastal town called Umina, which is this tiny little town. It's like trailer park and like one, one street and it's beautiful. There's the beaches, beaches are amazing. There's all these, it's kind of on its way now, but for the longest time, it was one of the last little coastal places nearby Sydney that hadn't really made that transition from small local town to kind of slightly more bustling, you know, there was no McDonald's until mm -hmm. very recently. So it was all still local businesses. Um, and there's a little pie shop, just one suburb, suburb next door in a place called Edelong. You, it's, it's run by a family and it's like, it's like they don't, they, they don't do the pies for you. They're doing it for them. So you might rock <laughs> up there on a Saturday afternoon at a totally appropriate time to be buying a pie and they're closed. And I suspect it's just because it's a beautiful day and they're like, ah, don't feel like making pies today. But if you can get there when they're, making pies you will have the most delicious little pastry treat you can imagine wow that's great places yeah. like that are the best you wouldn't know about it would you You just got to stumble across it that speaks i think a lot to to a, a culture that we're always looking for which is that off the beaten path things that uh people haven't talked about as much so this next question um if there if i was interested in learning a little bit more about the aboriginal history in the area are there any cultural sites or museums or things to, to see in Sydney that, that would help me learn about that? Um, look, sadly, uh, we haven't done a great job of really honoring our indigenous tradition. Um, this is a problem that Australia has as a nation. Um, and, I, and I'm sure that, that many nations have, have a similar problem. It's probably something that is not, we, we're not, we're, we're taught little, little bits of it in, in school, um, but there's some, some, truly atrocious things that you know european australians did you know and and continue sadly to do um to our to our indigenous people um but one one thing i suppose that we do i think do quite well is honoring indigenous art there is some there's beautiful intricate um aboriginal art that you can you can any any city any major city you can you can find and it's something that is it's, it, it's, it's a very unique 
style of art and it's um it's it, it's very it is it is very protected i i, I as, as someone who does not have identify as um indigenous and, and does not have any indigenous ancestry i couldn't just go and start churning out this style of art mm. because it's not it's not part of you know who i am and so it is something that we we do do honor i think quite well um so but in, in, in terms of learning lots and lots about aboriginal culture you really need to find someone who who is you know part of the community you know that that can tell you these stories it it, it is it was you know a oral historic tradition mm-hmm. um that they they tended to to maintain um one thing that we do do tend to do now which i think is in some ways a little tokenistic but it you know it's it's a start at least is before many many events they'll hold a well they'll, they'll do a welcome to country which is mm-hmm. they'll basically sort of welcome everyone to, to to where you've gathered they'll um they'll they'll thank they'll, they'll they'll pay respect to the uh the tribe that um is the custodian of that parcel of land mm. um and they'll, they'll pay respect to, you know um you know elders past present and emerging and and at least we're starting to to recognize i suppose the um the somewhat fraught historic tradition that that we as 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 white or European background Australians have with with this land and, and the way that it was occupied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's super important for America too. I feel like we're we're going through that realization, or I'd like to think that a lot of us are where it, it is time to pay more attention to the indigenous population and other marginalized populations. But when I think when it comes to Australia, a lot of people think about learning more about the Aboriginal people and their culture and, and the in- incredible lives that they had prior to um, settlers landing. So it, it, it's very interesting. I, w- I would hope that I have been trying diligently to understand more of the Native American culture here in America. And uh, yeah, I think that it would be a very interesting component of, of a trip to Australia. So Megan talked about that call to country or welcome to country as well. And, and, and that's, a, that's a special thing that, uh, that I think is, is really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if we move on to some of the things that, that we can do in the outdoors and, and really getting back in touch with nature. Sydney is, of course, a metropolitan place. It's really cool. But what I noticed is that unlike Melbourne, it has a really awesome beach culture. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the beaches that you can visit if you're in Sydney? And, and keep this in mind. Is Bondi Beach really the best beach in Australia? <laughs> oh, this is, a, this is absolutely not. Bondi Beach is, it's, it's so famous. Um, and it's, it's beautiful, I suppose. But it, it's like anywhere that is, is very famous, you know. It's, it's very busy. Um, it can get, it can get really, really, you know, people can, can spread a lot of litter around and because it's so, so popular, so, so, so famous and busy, we've built buildings, you know, almost as close to to the, to the beach as you can get. So if you're looking for that untouched, um, coastal, you know, experience and you go to Bondi beach, you're not really going to get that. The good news is, all you've got to do is just walk uh, to the east, wait, south. Um, <laughs> I'm getting, getting my, um, and there's there's this beautiful sort of coastal track that goes up over the headland, 
um, to the neighboring beaches and you can go to Tamarama beach, which mm. is like Bondi's secret younger sibling. And that is a little bit more, you know, untouched, so to speak, you know, you can, you can find a spot to put your towel down and you can swim in the ocean without, you know, running over someone. And they do this really cool thing uh, in the summer where uh, they call it the um, sculpture by the sea. And what it's, it's, it's this big sculpture competition where all these um, artists design a sculpture and they can be little, they can be enormous, you know, you can see things, you know, as big as a house and they dot them all along this coastal walk between the two beaches. And it's amazing. It's the busiest time of year to go and visit Bondi. It's like you're um, in, in, in a traffic jam going around mm-hmm. this walk, but it's, it's such a great experience. And it's a really, really seeing all this amazing art in this magnificent, you know, coastal environment is, is really wonderful. But if you're really looking for the beach experience, you've got to get out of the city. I'm sorry, you can't mm-hmm. be in Sydney. You've got to just, all you've got to do is point your car north or south and just keep driving until you stop seeing building after building after building after building and then drive a little bit more and then just head for the coast and you'll find someplace stunning and untouched. Might even have it to yourself if you're lucky. Wow, that is amazing. That is so cool discovering something that uh, is, is secret, that is untapped. That's why we at the Carter Brothers Travel Club like to talk to the locals. We're not getting there on like, oh, you know, this were our favorite things to do. No, we want to hear from the person that was there for 28, <laughs> 29 years, knows what they're talking about. That is really cool. You know, before, before we sign off, I promised that we were going to do this and we just didn't do it enough, but pretend like you are an absolute Sydney fanatic <laughs> explain to the audience why they need to visit Sydney instead of Melbourne. Right. I'll, uh, I'll try and, um, I'll try and make amends for my, my food comments earlier. The thing about Melbourne and Melbourneites is that they all think they're so cool. Everyone's all fashionable. You see someone with this really cool haircut. They've got a, you know, really specially kempt you know facial hair and it's all very put together and you go and you say oh i'll have a coffee and they say what kind of coffee would you like because you've got to have a long black or you've got to have a latte or a cappuccino sydney we just we just play it where it lies we're just fun easy going we're always outside in the sun we got these beautiful tans you can hang out by the beach you want to go to Melbourne, you got to rug up like you're in a in an igloo. You you <laughs> it's so cold down here. So that's that's why that's I think that is probably the crux of the the rivalry. I think Sydney thinks that they're a little bit more um a little bit more laid back and 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 Melbourne thinks that they're a little bit more cultured when in reality um we're probably all just pretty much the same. <laughs> that is great. Oh, that was awesome. Wow. You really, you really put on the hat. No, but if, any, if anything, it sounds like you're really enjoying your time in Melbourne as well. Absolutely. It's a wonderful city to live in. No, and, and Sydney, of course, is a, the, the best way that I've had it um, summarized is Melbourne is a really fantastic place to live. It gets better and better the more you live there. Mm-hmm. And Sydney is a really fantastic place to visit. It's got all the marquee stuff. It's got all mm-hmm. the really exciting places to visit. You know, we could leave it right there because, you know, we have already started planning our trip to Melbourne, but by my account, we have to fly in through Sydney anyways, if we were to come from the West Coast. So might as well spend a couple of days there. And uh, maybe when we're there, though, you and Megan will have to fly up and, and meet us and, and take us around and then we can do the one-two punch. That's right. Someone has to show you around Sydney. So um, if that's us, you know, we can, we can certainly make that happen.
That's what we like to hear. We're, we're so happy. We're so thankful that you decided to be a guest on the Cotter Brothers Travel Club. We, uh, you know, we have a lot to learn from you and uh, we, we certainly don't have the best acoustics in, in our, uh, our makeshift studios right now, but we're, we're going to work on that. No, we're, we're just really grateful that you could show us around your hometown and, and proudly uh, speak on behalf of Sydney. You're a great tour guide, Mark. Thank you so much. And we hope you'll uh, listen. But before, I, I always forget to do this. Do you have any shout outs to uh, anybody out there and uh, perhaps another guest that could be on the oh, travel club? Another guest. Well, I suppose I should probably shout out to all the um, all my Sydney family and friends um, and say I miss you all very dearly, especially now when we're not allowed to to travel between to, between states. So hi, guys. Hope you're having fun up there. Um, who can I? Oh, goodness. See, I don't know that I know anyone else to to put on the hook for a, for a travel guide because everyone lives in Sydney or Melbourne that I know. <laughs> well, you're going to have to think of it. And maybe um, it's yeah. one of these people that you've met on uh, your, your adventures out in the world. Great shout out to, to your family. I uh, hope they'll enjoy uh, all of your amazing tips and guides. And uh, we hope we visit you really soon. So thank you so much, Mark. And welcome to the club. Thank you. My pleasure. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. Uh, we really appreciated having somebody that knew so much about audio medium and sound quality. Uh, and also, of course, knew so much about our destination for this episode, Sydney, Australia. You're an amazing guest and we hope you'll come on again. Um, Brandon, what did you think uh, when you were talking with Mark? What was uh, something that really stood out to you for uh, when we hit up Sydney? Something that I thought sounded really interesting was uh, when he was describing Manly Island. Mm -hmm. uh, in addition to having a really cool name, uh, it sounds like a place that's a fun mixture of a little bit touristy, but still really, really fun. Yeah. And I feel like it would be a good place to go and, uh, and, and experience a lot of local culture outside of the main like, heart of Sydney. So yeah. I'd be, I think I would try, try Manly Island while I was there. Yeah, and I, I definitely also appreciated the fact that they serve drinks on the ferries uh, going over there. That, uh, that really sets the mood, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Especially for how long the ferry ride is. Yeah, well, I mean, it sounds like it's about 45 minutes, so a couple drinks, you know, <laughs> three or four. Just some casual pre-gaming. Yeah. You know, for, for me, not, not to drift too far from the drink scene, um, but it really stood out to me when, when Mark recommended Lord Nelson Brewery and then to take that beer up to the Observatory Hill where you can see the whole of Sydney Harbor. And you got the Opera House and the, the, the bridge and uh, the amusement park. That sounds like an incredible experience. I would definitely want to uh, check that out. You know, the other thing that sounded really good was all of the Lebanese food that he was describing. And I know that we've talked about kebabs on this uh, podcast before when we had uh, uh, Pierre on. But uh, I think that now as I travel international again, I'm going to be hitting up all of these kebab shops and see which country has the best version. It seems like uh, something that you'll need to bring back too. The audience knows you're an amazing cook, so maybe you can take some recipes and try them out at home once you like try out all your kebabs. Heck yeah, that, that'd be great. But yeah, anyway, so, so I mean, there sounds like there, it sounds like there is a, a lot to do in Sydney. Um, it, it is an incredible place. Uh, I know that a lot of friends have visited there. It's very popular. And uh, I think that as we said to, to Mark, if we were to take a trip to Australia, it would have to be that one-two punch 
having them to tour us around both Sydney and Melbourne um, and, and really kind of absorb that area of, of the continent. Um, but, you know, to a lot of people's surprise, Australia is more than just those two cities. Um, so I think that if I was to go to Australia, it would have to really tour around a lot more of the country because from what I understand, there is a lot of beautiful places uh, in Australia. Brendan, we've come to the end of this episode, and I, I don't want to say that this might be the last episode for a little while, so I won't say that, but we're, we're both kind of going through um, like a transition period and kind of getting adapted, although I see that you've sort of set up your home studio now. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you got going on in, in Tucson? Yeah, I, for the first few weeks I was living here, I was set up at our kitchen table doing my classes entirely from there. And it just was not the best environment. I just had stuff spread out everywhere, which wasn't a great look. And it, it didn't feel like I was a student. So I bought a cheap desk, put it together in our second bedroom. And um, it's been a great place for multi-use studying and a recording studio. Yeah, and, and so I'm, I'm taking a page out of your book and I'm inspired by, uh, by what you've done. I am also setting up an in-home studio for, for my job, which as you alluded to is remote, um, but also to set up a, a space to create, not just for the Cotta Brothers Travel Club, but for some other projects that we have in the pipeline with some other uh, uh, creative people that we have here in Miami. So I'm, I'm building that studio now, really putting together a whole situation where we can be uh, talking back and forth. I, I bought some, some new tech that I'm really excited to roll out. But the reason that we're sharing this, not only to get the audience excited, but also so that maybe we can earn a little bit of leeway for when the next <laughs> couple episodes come out. Uh, I, I have been scrolling Instagram, looking for some potential collaborators. So I got some people in the pipeline. Uh, I really think that they'll be interested in, in chatting with us as we continue this uh, second, ep second season of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. But you know what? I, I never think of the, the Cotta Brothers Travel Club as being a, a seasonal thing. It's really just like whenever there's an adventurer or an explorer out there that we can talk to, we're going to put out an episode. So, so I think that much like how our travelers that we've talked to like to explore, but just going with the wind, that's sort of how things are going to be for maybe the next couple months. <laughs> Love to get on a really tight schedule, but it's just not going to be that way. But the, the good news is we got some new stuff that's coming out. The website is still being updated regularly uh, with new content. And uh, once we get everything kind of set up and my studio set up too, you can rest assured that there's going to be a lot of new episodes of uh, Travel Club coming up. So if this is your first episode that you've listened to, why don't you head back and uh, check out all of the other ones that we've recorded. We've been to incredible destinations. If you've been with us since the beginning, thank you so much. We love you. And uh, just know that there is a lot more adventures uh, in store for the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Uh, but we'll see you pretty soon. Don't worry. We'll be back. Thanks for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. This is a good chance to let you all know that we have a website. Go to cottabrotherstravelclub.com to find our city guides, travel essays, and the best way to contact us directly. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Look for Cotta Bros underscore Travel Club. We want to keep building this community of explorers, so please hit us up on social media or on our website 
so you can share your adventures and stories from around the world. Finally, we know these are challenging times. This podcast was our outlet for self-expression, and we appreciate our listeners, friends, and family that are helping us to make it possible. However, if you are ever feeling sad, isolated, or even displaced, please reach out to us. Even the most experienced traveler gets lost sometimes and needs some help to find their way. We hope you'll tune in next time, and most importantly, welcome to the club.